0: Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 through 6, here's what, here's what it says. Paul writing to the Ephesian church, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance from one, for one another, in love and being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and there is one spirit, just as all you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In chapter four of the letter to the Ephesian church, the Apostle Paul is writing to them specifically about their spiritual maturity. He's calling them to grow up in the Lord. He's recognizing that the church has a lot of difficulties and a lot of problems. Namely, they're struggling with division. They're struggling with sin in their own lives. And I would actually venture to say they're struggling with the purpose of the church. And as you continue to study the rest of this letter that Paul writes, verses 6 through verse 17, or 6, sorry, 7 through 16, Paul lays out the leadership structure of the church. He says that there are apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, that God has given specific people with a dimension of leadership that reflects the ministry of Christ. And those specific people are called to equip the whole body for works of service. And that means that the whole church is supposed to be used by God to fulfill the mission and the ministry of Christ. And that the leadership of the church, their role is to equip people, is to get people ready to be used by God. And so that's what the church ought to do. The church is not a place of entertainment. The church is a place of instruction. The church is not a place where we placate people and sort of say what people want to hear. It's a place where we get marching orders, where we get encouraged, we get equipped. We don't just get touched. We get trained because we've got something to do in the world. And it looks a lot like what Jesus was doing when he was in the earth. And so that's what we're doing here. And so he actually goes into great detail about how we have been given, the church has been given these gifts in order for us to fulfill the ministry of Christ, all right? So that's like several verses he goes into that. And then after that, he goes into the same conversation that we just read in verse one through six. And it says this in verse 17 through 24. Now, now bear with me, we need to read this because this is what I want to talk to you about, freedom from your past. Verse 17, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord, and you walk no, that you would walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now just park right there. He's telling Christian people... Stop acting like non-Christian people. Because of what I just told you, you've got something to do. You've got purpose. You're part of something that's bigger than yourself. He, he calls them to a place of maturity because they're fighting together. And when you fight together, you forget your purpose. You know what I'm talking about. Whether that's marriage, whether that's the church, when you begin to fight together, you forget who you are, you forget what you're doing, and you've lost your purpose. And so now he's calling them to maturity and he's saying, do not act like unbelievers because you need to know who you are and what you're doing. So he goes on to say, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which is the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So here we have Paul and really throughout Paul's letters he make he he pulls no punches. He tells those that are Hebrews um, that they're not to go back to some of the Jewish customs and laws that Christ had fulfilled. He says that to them, but he, now in this letter, he's saying to those who are Gentiles, he's saying don't go back to those sinful practices and mindsets that you used to do because of who you used to be. That's not who you are anymore, so you've got to turn away from that and keep walking in Christ. Amen. We're talking about being free from our past. And he's trying to tell them you are free from your past. And so you need to live like you're free from your past. He's not patronizing them. He's not trying to make them feel bad for sometimes having a struggle. He's telling them who they are, because identity dictates behavior. Behavior does not dictate identity. And that's exactly what Paul is telling the church in this instance. And he does it in practically every letter that he writes. He says, do not go back to your former manner of life. And so his exhortation is as true for us as it was for them. And let me tell you tonight about being free from your past. What often hinders us from living in new life is our old life. What often hinders us from living in new life is our old life, our old mindsets, our old patterns, our old sins, our old environments, these old things If we want to live a victorious life in Christ, we've got to stop picking up dead things. We've got to let the dead die. We've got to let those things that we were and those things that we used to do, we've got to let them go. We've got to let them be buried and stop picking them up because God has called us to so much more. Now, I want to tell you tonight, Jesus is our Savior, and He's a perfect Savior, isn't He? When Jesus went to the cross and he rose again, proving that he was God's one and only son, he says that anybody who believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. And the bridge to that was that we would be forgiven of our sin and cleansed of all unrighteousness. Now, if you're in Christ, you are forgiven of all of your sin and you are cleansed of unrighteousness. Not because of what you and I have done, but because of what Jesus has done. That's why Peter says that his blood was precious. When his blood, his perfect blood was spilt, when his life was taken, it was actually given for our life in exchange so that we could have new life in Christ. He died the death that we were supposed to die so that we could live the life that we didn't deserve. We are raised with Christ and seated in heavenly places. What's important for us to understand is Jesus is not only our savior. But the Bible calls him also a redeemer. A redeemer is one who sets wrong things right. Redemption is where something is set right. Something is made right. If I were to take a chair and I were to kick the chair over, it's set down and it's, it's no longer purposeful. That chair is meant to be sat in. You know, I'm pretty sure you guys all understand this, but that that chair was built to be sat in. It's specifically designed for that purpose of what you're using it for. But if you kick that chair over, you don't sit in the chair and it's lost its purpose. So if you want to redeem that chair, you want to set it right. You want to put that chair back up in its proper position so that it can do what it's designed to do. Now, in in sin, our lives have been kicked over on the side, and Jesus is the only one that can set our lives back up so that we can keep doing what He designed us to do. He is the only one that can set it right. He is our Redeemer. He's not just our Savior, but He wants to make our life right. He is the only one that can. Can I tell you tonight that you need to cancel your plans for being miserable? Amen. You need to cancel your plans for staying in your sin. You need to cancel your plans of going back to that former way of life, and you need to accept what Jesus has truly done for you. He has set you right. He hasn't just forgiven you, and he doesn't just pat us on the head and say things are gonna get a little bit better. He's not giving us a better life. He gives us a new life, amen? That's what he does. Jesus wants to give us new life. That's what this whole thing is all about. That's why we get excited when we come to church. That's why we worship with our hands lifted high, If you haven't done it yet, you should try it because he's done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He's given us what we do, what what we do not deserve and what we cannot earn. If you're tired of hearing that, I'm sorry, you, you shouldn't be. If you're tired of hearing the gospel of Jesus, you shouldn't be. That's what saves your soul. That's what makes you right. And I want to tell you tonight, that's what frees you from your past. What keeps us free in Christ is to be reminded of what he's done and what that means and laying hold of that. He redeems and he gives us new life. We are born again. In order to live in new life, we have to stop picking up dead things. Those things that are dead in our life, we got to leave them in the ground. We got to let them stay buried and stop digging them back up. Let me talk to you for a few moments about a couple things related to our past. The first is that we are dealing with the wounds of our past. Many of us have wounds that are affecting us in the present. Wounds can be terrible, traumatic, difficult, those types of things that have been done to us, things that we have done or whatever may have just happened, maybe to no fault of our own. Maybe it was our fault. But for whatever reason, we have had things happen in our life that has created emotionally or relationally, certainly spiritually, they've created wounds in our soul. Sometimes I use the illustration of a bookmark, and I talk about how a person can go through a traumatic or a difficult or a sinful experience, and they want to just keep going in life without dealing with that thing, and it's like putting a bookmark in the story of your life, putting a bookmark somewhere in here and just acting like it hasn't happened, not dealing with it, not bringing it before the Lord, not making it right in life, but just moving on. And that's what we call avoidance. When it's emotional, we suppress and we keep going and we act like that doesn't need to be dealt with. And when we do that, at some point in our life and in our future, that thing will come up. Tell me how I know. And we have these things called wounds in our life. But God can deal with our wounds. God can forgive our wounds. God can give us wisdom for what to do with our our wounds. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind is the way you think. Your will, that's that decision-making part of you, the will to do. And your emotions is the way you feel. These three things is what your soul is made up of. But I would also tell you that there's more to your soul than just that. I would tell you tonight that your soul is also made up of events, things that have transpired in your life in the past. We have these big events, these things in our life, many of them from family of origin, many traumatic experiences. Sometimes if you explain them to another person, they don't understand why that would be such a big deal. But to you, it is. It doesn't matter what it is to someone else. If it hits you the way that it did, it can be a wound. There's no shame over that. It is what it is. I've had situations in my life. Those were, those were wounds. So my soul is made up of my mind, will, and emotions and these events. Now when these events occur in your life, your mind, the way you think, your will, the decisions that you make, that part of you, that urge, that will to do, and your emotions, the way you feel, wrap around that event and can cause a wound and that wound can go deep. All of your soul can wrap around that event in your, in your life, and it can actually dictate to us how we are. It can speak to us about how we should be, and it can keep us down in a place that God has not called us to be. This is really important for us to understand because sometimes we really do, if we're honest with ourselves, we wonder why we are the way that we are. And as God is dealing with us, as He is pastoring us, as He is fathering us, He's pulling these things out of our life. He's excavating our heart and he's healing those wounds. When we don't let God in, then then that's a very difficult place because we just get older and those wounds don't change. You know, we just get more religious, right? That's what happens. And we allow the flesh to sort of sophisticate and we develop sort of a religiosity about us. People, it doesn't matter if you're in church tonight, you can do it in church. You know what I'm saying? How you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm amazing. Are you, are you amazing? I'm great. I'm amazing. And we build this fictitious life when in reality, something in our soul is not right and we know it and we need it to change. We need it to be healed. We need it. We need God to deliver us. Amen. And God stands as a deliverer. Jesus's name, Yeshua, it means the deliverer. He is our deliverer. And he's the only one that can do it. And so we have these wounds, some of us, from from our past. How how do you know that you still have a wound in in your life? I've given this illustration before, but it's really important. Especially if if, if you need freedom tonight, I'm going to tell you, I I believe that you can walk out of this room free. Not, Not because of what I say, but because of the blood of Jesus. By his stripes, we are healed. That means we are made whole. And he can do something in a moment that we've not been able to do in years. He can do something in a prayer that we haven't been able to fix in a a very long time. And so this is why I believe that as we pray. And so in this illustration, I think it will help you, but how do you know if you still have a wound? One one of the ways is that you still feel it. I know we don't like to use the word feel it, but help me, give me your ears for a second here. When I was... um, more courageous with my workout routine, which I'm not at all anymore. I work out at Planet Fitness because that's where people like me belong. Amen. It says no judgment in the gym. I love that. Just want you to know. I remember when they used to have like Bagel Tuesday. I thought that was an incredible thing. All right? They used to serve you pizza if you went there at 5 p.m. on like Wednesdays or whatever. I never ate it, but I felt that I was in the right place. Okay, so it sounds funny, but it, it's, it's, the, it's the gym for the rest of us, Okay. All right. So I didn't like to go to like LA Fitness and see people like, yeah, I was like, no, <laughs> nobody wants to see that. Okay. And it's going to go the way of gravity eventually anyway. So whatever. But that's just me being judgmental. That's why I had to go to Planet Fitness because you literally sign a document saying you won't judge people. And I, and I love that. I said, of course not. No, it also protects me. So I, so I, I was once more a little more courageous, and, and we had people in our life that were doing CrossFit, which is like kill fit. I don't know what that, that's just dangerous. I don't know what, like, do you want to hurt yourself and feel like you're, uh, if some of you do it, like, it's, it has a time stamp on it for sure. But anyhow, uh, people were trying to teach us all this stuff. So I was doing squats, you know, which I think is just a very dangerous thing to do. Squats and deadlifts. And so I was doing squats. I remember I got to my third I got to my third set and I go down and I did not come back up. I went down and I did not come back up. But here's the hard part though. When I went down, it felt like fire went through my midsection, every part of my midsection. I mean, it just it was just like it was just like a flame went right down my midsection and something happened in my stomach that I can't describe. I mean, I just something popped or shifted or whatever gross word I could use. If something happened, and I didn't understand, like, because that's not supposed to happen, right? I'm not supposed to feel like there's a gerbil crawling around on my stomach, you know? This is not supposed to be, that's not the world we live in. So anyways, that happened. I fell to the ground. I got the thing off, and, uh, and nobody video recorded it. Amen. Nobody did that, because that's, that goes viral, um, but I got up and then like all of a sudden I was like hey, I'm feeling I'm feeling okay like I I was feeling okay for for like a moment I got home everything was fine I was I was I was walking and it seemed like that whole thing went away and then I went to bed that night and I got up in the morning well I didn't get up in the morning I tried to get up in the morning and I went oh you know you just try to rise up and you my midsection just honestly couldn't I couldn't move it it was so painful just moving it a little bit. So I had to roll out of bed, I rolled out of bed, just like you would, and I kinda had to crawl. I mean, I had to like, I had to figure out a new way of life for like six months. I couldn't work out. I was even walking for like 10 minutes was pain for my stomach. Anybody ever gone, this is very traumatic for me. It's therapeutic that I'm sharing it with you. You're welcome. But you know, six months later, I got over it. I, I, the stomach pain went away and, and then I, and I'm normal. I'm totally normal. I didn't have to get any surgery or anything. Praise God. But one day I was thinking about it. I could remember what happened, but I couldn't remember how it, I can't remember how it felt because I don't feel it anymore. When you know you have healing in your life, in your soul, you can remember an event has happened in your life, but you don't feel the sting of it anymore. You understand what I'm saying? When God brings healing into your soul, you, you can rejoice over the redemption that He's brought, the forgiveness that He's brought, what He's done, it's deep, it's a work of the spirit. And you can testify to the goodness of God and the healing in your life because you don't feel it anymore. And you can't hide that. You, you just if, like right t- tonight, if you're sitting here and you have something in you, that, that is a wound, you still feel it. Even a little bit, God wants to heal that. He doesn't want you to carry just a little bit of it. God wants to cleanse that in your soul. And he can. He can, and he, and he will. We have, we have wounds in, from our past that God wants to bring healing to. If we let him, he'll do that even tonight. I, I think sometimes the reason that we're not healed is because we're not honest about it. See, we, we, we have this idea that we, we, you know, God will do it sort of in private. Sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need somebody to agree with you in prayer. Sometimes you need somebody to come alongside you and lay hands on you. I can honestly tell you, I've had people lay hands on me and literally what was plaguing me was gone. There's just something powerful about the church of Jesus when we walk in authority. We have all authority over all the power of the enemy. But that's not just for an individual. That's the authority of the church of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said to his disciples in John 20, 21, he said, as the Father has sent me, now you go. He didn't say that to a person. He said that to a people. So sometimes people teach this idea that we're all walking around at the same level of Jesus. He actually made us different. He made us all to need each other, and that is actually a plural term that was that was meant for a people to carry the fullness of Christ. And that's what Paul was saying here in Ephesians chapter 4 when he goes into saying there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers who have been given to the church for the equipping of the saints and the building up of the body. What was he saying? You need the church. You need all of the gifts in the church. We're interdependent, not codependent, but we are interdependent on one another, and we are carrying something for each other. This is why it is so important for us to not only gather together, but to have a vision that's bigger than ourselves. I think the enemy has tried to destroy the purpose and understanding of the church over this last year and a half, honestly. I believe that the enemy has been hard at work trying to dismantle the purpose and the place of the church. And I'm going to tell you, we are going to see the effects of it for the next several years. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have online. That doesn't mean that those of you that are online during the season, that it's not valuable and it's not important. But I'm telling you, let's just be honest for a second. Many people have stopped connecting even in that way. Let's just tell it like it is. There are some of you that are online and you are as connected as the day is long. And you have made this like church. And you have stayed devoted and you have stayed committed. And that is the church But there are many who have drifted. They have just drifted. They are not connected anymore. And I'm telling you, the grass is not greener. We are not becoming more evangelical. We are not becoming more generous. We are not becoming more kind, more patient, more Christ-like. That is not the fruit that we are seeing from this last season, friends. Come on, it's just not what's happening. And so as God is bringing us together, regardless, that's in person, As long as we can do that, amen. That's what we're doing tonight. And if we're online, let's stay committed and let's stay connected. But we have to stay committed. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they were devoted. They were devoted. The first verb that was used about the church and how they acted towards Jesus was that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and to fellowship. They were devote. They stayed committed, and they stayed committed, and they saw the thriving church from that, from that day forward. I'm telling you, it's not rocket science. It really is not. And so what we have here, Paul is exhorting them to live in the newness of life and to, to, to literally separate themselves from their former way of life. You know how we drift back into our former way of life? We do it ourselves. We do it ourselves because we don't want accountability. We don't want to be with God's people. We don't want to walk in, in a way where we're equipped and we're instructed and we're accountable. We need each other just like we need family. We, need, we absolutely do. The church hasn't done it perfectly. I'll be the first to say it. Leaders haven't done it perfectly. I'll be the first one to admit it. But it still doesn't, it still doesn't mean that we thro- throw it all out. We've got to come back to it because this is actually the context for which many of our, our wounds are healed. And we have authority tonight. Every week we see something happen here at our church. It's so powerful. And I mean, that's happening in churches all over this region and this world. But our wounds become wells of healing for other people to receive ministry. Amen. When you get healed, it's not just about you. When you get healed, it's no longer just about you. So we need you to get healed by Jesus so that you can be a minister of Jesus. So that you're not just drinking the water, but you're now bringing the water. Amen. That's what we're talking about. Jesus said that rivers of living water would flow out of your innermost being. And it starts in this place of honesty. Lord, I've got wounds in my life. I've got issues that are going on. I've got secret sins. If our secret place is filled with things that we ought not have, then the gathering place will not be what it's supposed to be. Come on, I'm telling you the truth tonight. And so God wants to heal us in such a way where our secret place can be cleansed, our time with him, our love with with him. We have something special with God. Not perfect, but something special with God. By the time we get here to the gathering place, we bring our contribution. And then when we go to the marketplace or the world place, then we're missional and we're reaching people in the name of Jesus. But it it all starts with what we believe and what we have with him. Sometimes we stay in an unhealed state unnecessarily. Unnecessarily. God wants to heal. He's prepared to heal. He has the power to heal, and he's available for it. And we stay where we are. Well, not tonight, amen? Not tonight, because we can have freedom from our past. There's also the realm of of sin. There's the wounding of the past, and there's the sins of our past. And I believe this generation has been violated in regards to exposure to a sinful lifestyle, and I, I think there's consequences for that. But my personal belief is this, and I'm not saying it to be optimistic, but I truly believe this, that in a generation with the most options, they can rise up and be the holiest generation that we've ever seen. Because a generation that looks at all of the availability of sin and says, no, those people are not going to be casual. They're not going to be apathetic. They're going to be on fire. And that's what God is going to do. God is going to bring a holy passion To a group of people that forsake that which the world is offering in the midst of 500 options. Maybe we used to have 50, but now we've got 500. And when we look at all those options and we say he's better, then he's going to pour out his spirit on us like we've never seen before. To do what we've never done before. To be who the word of God says that we are are. Pastor Ben, why aren't we seeing seeing more healing and signs and wonders and miracles and the stuff that the book talks about? I, I think, I think it's really simple. If we want New Testament power, we've got to have New Testament practice. If we want to have New Testament results, we've got to live what the New Testament says. It's really simple. And you can't do that alone. We do that in the context of community. And this is a generation that I think is being robbed of their innocence And all the sins that are affecting us even today, and I could give you all the statistics, but God doesn't even want you to dabble in sin. He doesn't want you to dabble in lust. He doesn't want you to dabble in gossip. He doesn't want you to dabble in your anger. He doesn't want you to celebrate your critical ways. Come on, friends, let's just be honest tonight. He doesn't want, you know, I'm just a critical person. It's just kind of how I am. Get delivered, you know? Don't celebrate that which he died for. I mean, this is serious. Like, who wants to be a critical person for the rest of their life? No, I think not. Who wants to be judgmental for the rest of their life? We've got to hear the voice of God say, there's better and there's more for you than that. We want to be free from our past. We don't want to coddle it. We don't want to accommodate it. We don't want to live in it. We don't want to dabble in it. We don't want to be like waist deep in it and say, it's it's not that bad, friends. It is bad. Sin is bad sin is bad it's demoralizing it takes us down roads we don't want to go it causes us to do things we said we would never do it makes us think things that we don't want to think and when we're honest about it jesus looks us right in the face just like when he he came into the synagogue in luke chapter 4 and they give him the scroll and he rolls he rolls out the scroll and he's and he talks about the spirit of the lord is upon me and he has anointed me to bring good news to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free. Jesus looks into our face tonight, and he says, I've come to set the captives free. So there is no reason to stay bound. There is no reason to stay bound. The only person that wants us to stay bound is our enemy. That's it. We don't have to believe that shame. We don't have to stand in that place. Here's a passage. I'm getting ready to close. You didn't know it, but I'm getting ready to close. Okay, I've got 15 doors in my sermon, though. We're just going to close door number one. That's a dumb joke, but I thought, I thought it was funny. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 13. Listen, listen to this. He, uh, the writer says, The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive. Now, he's not talking about a woman. He's talking about a spirit. Not, so don't hear it as a woman, please. The woman of folly is boisterous. She's loud, and she's naive, and she knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city. And she calls to those who pass by, listen to this, who are making their paths straight. The boisterous woman of folly, the woman of sin, the spirit is calling out to people who are making their paths straight. Not just the naive, not just the foolish, Not just the one that wants to do wrong, but the one that wants to make their path straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding or discernment, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there and that our guests are in the depths of Sheol. This passage is, I mean, such a profound picture of sin knocking at the door of our lives, Looking for those who are seeking to live right and righteously. Friend, if you're trying to live for Jesus, I want to tell you something. The voice of folly, the boisterous spirit is seeking. Just like Jesus is seeking to save that which is lost, there is a spirit in the world and even coming against our lives that is seeking to bring us back to being lost. That is seeking to get us to a place where we are living bound like we once did. And we declare war on that spirit. It's surprising to me, to me, and I'm just, just talking honestly because I, I can apparently, but it's surprising to me that too many people, I mean, I, this is what I do. I spend my life talking to people about Jesus and wanting to see them discipled and walk with him. It, it's baffling that too many of us spend too much time in places that Jesus is just trying to deliver us out of. We spend far too much time in the mud, rolling around, wondering why it keeps being slippery. Wondering why this thing keeps happening. To get out of there, it is not rocket science. I, I want to tell you, it, it's, as, it's as easy as saying no. But being honest is probably the hardest thing that most, that most people are facing right now. I talked about spiritual warfare in the weekend services, and one of the things that I said is our greatest enemy is probably not the devil or demonic spirits, Our greatest enemy is that unsurrendered, unyielded part of us, that traitor, the flesh that lives inside of us, that is seeking to bring us down to our demise. And it really is this, it really is all about this that Jesus has come to bring full deliverance and healing from our past. He can free us right now, and He already has. And that's what the Bible teaches. The boisterous woman is is looking for those that are seeking to make your paths, their paths straight. Are you trying to make your path straight? Are you trying to walk with the Lord? I'm assuming the, there's a yes there. Are you trying to walk with the Lord in a way where your life is getting brighter and brighter, even if the world around you is getting darker and darker? Here's what I'm saying to you. Do not think that there isn't a spiritual warfare attached to you trying to walk an increasing life in Christ. There absolutely is. There absolutely is. And God's saying to you, and he's saying to me, I've brought brought freedom for you. The freedom is not something that you can earn. It's not something that you can work for. It's something that we receive. It's something that we receive by faith. And so I want to close by sharing this thought with you. And it's really simple. There's four things. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. uh, But I want to tell you how you get free. That's it. I'm going to tell you exactly how to get free biblically. Number one, you need to resolve your new identity in Christ. You need to resolve it right now. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, and you're living with wounds of the past, and you're living with sin, sin cycles, I don't care if it's being critical or being lustful or prideful or jealous, if you're plagued by something, honestly, and if that's going on, if you're, if you're living in, in dark, deep, dark places, or if there's stuff inside you, and you're saying, Ben, this ain't right. You're preaching this stuff about freedom, but this ain't right. I'm telling you, there's the first thing we have to do is resolve our new identity in Christ. He's not trying to make us a little better. He's given us a brand new life. That's a lot different than him making us religious. That's a lot different than him asking us to just come to church and put a smile on. He's telling us you are new in Christ. This is what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new cre- creature A new creation. Old things have passed away, new things have come. You need to memorize that verse. You've got to know that verse. And when temptation comes to you, you just need to say it out loud out of your mouth. I am a new creation in Christ. Behold, all things have passed away. All things have become new. I am not what I once was. I don't have to do what I once did because I'm new in Jesus Christ. We've got to say that out of our mouth. We've got to pray that with real prayers And I know sometimes people like to pray inside and they don't pray with their words. I am telling you, pray with your words. I'm encouraging you to pray out loud, to say it, to pray it, to believe it. It's true. Sometimes the best thing that we can do when we're getting tempted or we're getting pulled back, and don't blame other people for getting pulled back. Don't blame the television, the devil vision, don't blame the vices, don't blame the people, don't blame the friends, don't blame anyone else. It is our decision, our decision to choose righteousness or to choose unrighteousness. It is our decision. And the first thing that we've got to recognize is that is not who I am anymore. It is not me anymore. Resolve it. Put the stake in the ground and hit it so far down it doesn't come back up again. Resolve your new identity in Christ. You are, I am new. Number two, repent and renounce past sins. I mean, this is why, I mean, I I just honestly, if you say, Pastor Ben, what's your, what's your sin of choice? <laughs> it's judgmentalism, to be straight up with you. Honestly, it's being critical. When I get wounded, I'm I'm like, I'm human. I'm like the rest of you. You understand? I've got got to come to Jesus. I've got to ask for forgiveness. I've got to ask for cleansing through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Anybody with me on this? You you know what I'm talking about. I've got to do the same thing. If you want a perfect pastor, you got to go to another church. You won't find one, but you got to go to another place. It's not me, but I'll tell you, I struggle with some stuff. And sometimes my biggest issue usually is like, I'll get hurt by someone. And then in my mind, I start to criticize them. I start to bring them low. I start to judge them. And when I recognize that, I, lay, I grab a hold of those thoughts. And the Bible tells us exactly what to do. Renounce those as sin. Repent from that. Turn from it and turn to God. Renounce the critical spirit. Renounce judgmentalism and turn to God. And then Jesus tells us to bless and pray for those that despitefully use us. So we don't just turn from it, we start blessing them. Father, I thank you that you want to bless them. I thank you, Lord, right now that you want to raise them up and you want to give them gifts of the Holy Spirit and you want to use them to reach their family and their friends. Thank you, Lord, that it's about your purpose and I pray that you would bless them spiritually and relationally and pour out your Holy Spirit on their life. Friends, we've got to live in the Spirit. If we want to get free from the past, we've got to start living in the new. And living in the new looks like a lot different than in the past. In the past, we would sulk. You know, I'm almost done. Come on, you can grit this. All right, keep your seatbelt on for a moment. See how close I got to the edge? Some of you got nervous. You, you can't, we, we cannot keep behaving. We can't just grit our teeth and turn from how we used to be. We've got to be new. And new people pray for others. New people bless others. New people begin to ask God to pour out his spirit on people. This is new. Live new. We are new, so we have to live new. We've got to repent. We turn from, but turning towards is vital. Paul was concerned in practically all of his letters that people weren't repenting of their sin. He said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 through 21. He grieved over it. And I would tell you, you cannot make true faith-filled professions without honest confessions. So the profession is I'm new in Christ, but in order for us to lay hold of that, we've got to be honest about those things that are trying to creep back into our life. We confess our sin and we forsake it. Lord, I've been critical in my mind and I'm being judgmental. Whatever it is, you confess it and then we move on to the profession. But I thank you that I'm new in Christ. Thank you this is no longer who I am and you're moving me on to to be with you. Number three, forgive those who sinned against you. Have you forgiven the people that have wounded you? Do you feel the sting? Amen. Unforgiveness is like incarceration. It's like it incarcerates our heart from moving on. And you, you could say to me tonight, Pastor Ben, you don't know what people have done to me. You're right, I don't. I don't know what people have done to you, but it doesn't change what gets you free. What gets us free, no matter what people have done to us, is what Jesus has done for us. It's to say that I may not know the pain of someone's past, but I certainly know the power of someone's future. I may not know the sins that have been committed against you, but I certainly know the person that paid for the sins that you've committed, and theirs as well. I know the one that can free us from what anybody else has done to us. That's what we've got to know more than anything else, and let's not make any excuses about it. Let's just forgive. And that means to the extreme measure, we forgive. I'm not saying that we say it's right. In fact, to forgive someone, we need to acknowledge that what they did was wrong. And our forgiveness towards them does not mean that we act like or we on our side make everything perfect and right. That's not what that means. We have to get right with God. We forgive them vertically. Horizontally, if we forgive them or we need to have reconciliation, we need repentance from them. That's a totally different thing. But we can still forgive them as we walk with the Lord. And we teach forgiveness is not just an event, but it's an ongoing practice. So we're talking about resolving your identity, repenting and renouncing your past sins, forgiving those that sinned against you, and finally reconcile if possible. And this is where we've talked about this before on this stage where I've shared with you Matthew 5.23. And you guys, can, you guys can come. Matthew 5.23 Jesus says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus says this crazy thing, which I'm wondering how many people practice. You know, how many times have I done this? He's saying, if you come to worship the Lord, but you have something that is unreconciled, as much as it depends on you, seek to go make that right. And when you seek to go make that right, then when you come back with your gift, your worship is full. Do you see, what, do you see the process in this? When you have something that's here, but you're, trying, you're moving towards God in worship and you're offering Him something, what He wants us to offer Him is a heart extended towards those people in our life. I'm gonna seek to make this right. Doesn't mean we can all the time. It just means that we will try. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus came into this world and he gave his life for people. Some will receive him and some won't. But he extended himself towards those who may or may not get right with him. And that's what he wants us to be, just like him. He wants us to extend ourselves toward people and they may or may not make that right. But he wants us to be like him. And that's what it means. I remember when I was... um, I lived kind of a, uh, some of you know my story, I won't go into it, but I I, I have a past, amen. <laughs> I have a past. I got saved almost 20 years old, and I, uh, you know, d- drug addiction, immorality, all that kind of stuff. Well, one night, a friend of mine, we got picked up by a wonderful police officer in uh, Bothell Police Department, and I remember... Um, you know, we, we were, we were up to no good. Amen. This is before Christ. This isn't last year. You know, your pastor's doing fine, but, but I was, I was 18 years old and I, and I got picked up by this police officer and we, um, you know, my friend, we, you know, my friend ended up going to jail. They let me out the next day and, uh, they just dropped me off somewhere. And I, I had a lot of colorful things to say to this police officer. I mean, I, it was, it was pretty, pretty nasty. And so, as a result of that, you know, I mean, I would see him from time to time and we would say things to this particular to this particular cop and then and and obviously he knew who we were and all that. Well, I get saved 19, fast forward several years, I get married, I'm living in Mill Creek. This is several years later and I'm at the YMCA and I'm working out on the elliptical machine. You know, I'm just getting it in, right? I'm this it's YMCA Planet Fitness, same thing. So, I'm, I'm on the elliptical machine. I'm, I'm probably watching, you know, The Biggest Loser or something like that. And guess who walks in YMCA and ends up on the elliptical machine next to me? It's this same police officer. It was probably like four years ago, five years ago. Now I'm saved and filled with the spirit and very happy to share the gospel with as many people as I possibly can. And, uh, and he just gets on the elliptical right next to me and he actually says, Hey, Ben, how are you doing? And I thought, well, this guy, he doesn't remember who I, he doesn't know who I am, but he remembers who I was. And so I got to share with him, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, skipped, I skipped a part, sorry. When I, when I saw this guy before this moment, I, I forgot this part, this is a very important part. I saw this guy at a gas station one time, this was, this was actually a couple years before I saw him at YMCA. I saw him, and I walked up to him, and I, I didn't remember his name, but I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, and he said, yeah, I remember you. And I had gotten saved and I told him, hey, I gave my life to Jesus, I became a Christian and I just wanted to tell you that I'm sorry for how we treated you. And that we were running the streets and we were crazy and all that. I just was a mis- misguided young person and I was doing wrong and all that. And I just want you to know I've made my life right and I'm really sorry. And he just looks at me and he says, okay. Well, I'm, I'm, really, happy. I'm really happy for you, something like that. And so a couple years after that, I mean, I see him at a gas station. A couple years after that, I see this guy at YMCA And he's working out next to me, he says, Hey, Ben, how are you doing? And I'm like, this is awesome. I get to share my whole testimony with him. And him and I, I see, I would see him at the YMCA here and there. And there was one day he literally opens up to me about a divorce situation that he was walking through, and all kinds of problems and pain that he had in his past. And I begin to share with him about what Jesus could do. And I believe that's why he opened up with me because I saw him at the gas station and I apologized and I tried to make it right. I extended myself towards him. And then I see him at the YMCA and I'm talking to him about what Jesus has done in my life. And what's amazing is once this guy was the the one that was sort of trying to keep me in the confines of, of doing that which is right. And now I'm literally preaching righteousness to the same guy that I was giving a tough time to out there running the streets. Now I'm the minister in the hands of God to the same dude. This is what God wants to do with people's lives. Christianity is not just about you and I memorizing Bible scriptures. It is about living the scripture. It is about doing what God says. And I haven't done it perfectly and neither have you, but you and I are called to be free. And we've got to be free, not just from sin and from wounds, but we've got to be free to serve the Lord. And we've got to stop living in the shadows and come out into the light and live for Jesus the way that the scriptures call us to, without shame, without condemnation, in utter freedom, knowing that God is the one backing this entire thing that we are involved in. Friends, you can be free from your past. Do you know that tonight? We can be absolutely free. And if we're not living in that full freedom, then tonight is a night of freedom. That's what this is all about. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.